good singing, you may be seated. Brother Mike, if you will come and teach for us this evening. That's all right. Good evening. Wasn't that a blessing to see those kids up here singing? Uh, I purposely put myself at a vantage point where I could turn and watch the, the crowd out here. And uh, Catherine and Kenny had some kids up here, and they were both singing right along with the kids. And I saw a number of parents and grandparents singing along with the kids. I don't know if that was in anticipation that the kids would forget the words and so they were trying to help them or if they just enjoyed the songs. But either case, it was good. It's always a, a blessing. Uh, kids and Christmas, it's uh, always a, a fun time with the kids. We're, uh, Jerry and I are fortunate. We have uh, 12 grandkids and three great-grandchildren now. And... Uh, a good number of them are going to be at our house starting Friday through sometime early next week, and we're really looking forward to it. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles tonight, if you would please, to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read a verse of scripture from another uh, place in Genesis in just a moment, but uh, I got to thinking uh, a while back when uh, Brother Sixt was here from uh, Sweden. That uh, he talked about how difficult it was for them to reach the people of Sweden. There, uh, the people seemed to be uh, living in in uh, comfort and pleasure, and uh, not too interested in the things of God. And I, I shared with him a thought about. Uh, using the Ten Commandments a little bit more in his ministry, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to preach and teach a little bit about this, because I think it would really be helpful to people uh, everywhere. And so uh, we're going to talk about the Twelve Commandments tonight. Or is, or is it ten? Or are there more than twelve? Well, we're going to talk about the commandments anyway, whatever they are, right? Um in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, you need not turn there, but uh, God promised Abram that he would make of him a great nation by which all families of the earth would be blessed. And uh, that passage is known as the Abrahamic covenant. It uh, goes like this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So let's ask the Lord's blessing tonight on this time together, shall we? Lord, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege to be here in freedom tonight, to be able to study the Bible and fellowship one with another. And I pray that you'd give us all understanding tonight, a little more into the heart of, of you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a better sense of what the purpose of the Ten Commandments is in our day and age. And so we look to you for grace and mercy tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought it was interesting uh, when I began to, to put some thoughts together about the Ten Commandments. Uh, the thing that always comes to my mind when I think about the Old Testament law is how that God decided to make 
a unique people that were peculiar people and unique unto himself. And uh, we often identify them as God's chosen people, and certainly that would be the case. They are God's chosen people, but a lot of times people misunderstand uh, why they were his chosen people. You see, God wanted to make a people with whom he would fellowship and interact with, and through that nation of people, he would manifest himself to the whole world so that the whole world would understand who God is. And uh, this is kind of a side note tonight, but uh, people are always looking for evidence or proofs that uh, the Bible is the word of God. And and, uh, I thought, boy, if if there isn't a, a clearer evidence, it's this. Have you ever noticed how much bias there is in the world against the Jewish nation? Hmm. You ever connect those dots? about how they're God's chosen people and people in their resistance to God resist God's people. And uh, you'll see that throughout Scripture. Well, in the following passage that we're going to look at here tonight, we begin to understand God's intent for making Israel his chosen people. Uh, The passage here in Exodus chapter 19, they The children of Israel have been rescued from 400 years of bondage in Egypt, and they're about 90 days into their journey toward the promised land. And as the children of Israel are now camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, records this event. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. That little phrase means a special people, a chosen people, Ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And then Moses, as he's summoned to the mount of God, he receives the words that God's talking about here, and we know them as the Ten Commandments. And so let's look at Exodus 20, beginning in verse number 1, and just rehearse these commandments. Uh, by the way, I, I've often I had the privilege in, in soul-winning efforts to ask some questions of people, and I would say, uh, do you know for sure if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I know for sure. And I said, how would you know? And, and uh, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Really? Can you name those Ten Commandments for me? Boy, we would struggle to name them in here tonight, I I would imagine. Uh, But the Ten Commandments, as we're going to see tonight, were not given as a set of rules to get us into heaven. So let's look at the commandments here, beginning in verse number one. The first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is to be the preeminent person and the preeminent relationship in the life of everybody. Now, 
That's an interesting way to start because it's kind of a tough task to measure up to that. Here's kind of a a layman's point of view of what he's saying there. If there's ever been a time in your life when someone or something has had a higher priority than Almighty God, then you violated the first commandment. Ooh. Second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. We are to worship him and him alone, not a statue of him, not a man-made object of him. We're to worship him and him alone. And if we worship anything else, we violated that second commandment. The third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We are to hold his name in the highest respect and honor in sincerity. His name was never intended to be an expletive. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that are in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We are to honor God and his creative work by taking a day of rest and reflection. Commandment number five. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The people he mentions here, mother and father, are the foundation of the first institution that God created, the family. And this is called the first commandment, by the way, with promise. Either do it, Or there's a consequence. That's the promise. The sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. All life is given by God and is sacred to him. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Fidelity in relationship is of the utmost importance to God. Thou shalt not steal. That is an act of selfishness and expresses discontentment toward God. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. God is truth, and lying, then, is an ungodly act. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in thy neighbor's, that is thy neighbor's. That reveals discontentment and ingratitude toward God's provision and his love. 
So these are the Ten Commandments that God gave the nation of Israel through his servant Moses. And it's interesting as you follow the story of the children of Israel making their way toward the promised land, what happened when Moses came down off the mountain with these commandments, the two tablets the Bible tells us? The people had grown impatient and they had created a golden calf and were partying and worshiping around that golden calf. And Moses threw those tablets down and they were broken. And so there's another incident where he goes back up into the mountain and the Ten Commandments are re-given to Moses and that's recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we can rejoice today that these commandments are not a set of rules that we have to keep in order to go to heaven. If that were the case none of us would be on our way to heaven tonight. Nobody. And nobody you've ever known in your lifetime would be able to get into heaven. They're not a set of rules to keep in order to get there. But they are important. And so we must not discount their importance to mankind and the culture in which we live. What they do is help us understand God's intention and expectation for his people. So that others, when they observe God's people, draw the right conclusion about who God is. Some people call this God's moral code. And uh, we were going to try to have a little video tonight that talks about how the moral code, the Ten Commandments of God, were primary in the establishment of our country. And uh, if you take a trip around Washington, D.C., just about every monument there has a reference to the commandments. Oftentimes, I believe at the Supreme Court, uh, as you look at the building, there's a picture of Moses, and it was through Moses that God delivered the Ten Commandments. And uh, so they are to have some significant impact. But I want to talk about the purpose of these commandments tonight, the biblical purpose of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at three points tonight. Isn't that amazing? We're going to have three points in a sermon here at church. Isn't that amazing? Well, the first significant purpose is obedience to the Ten Commandments does not save your soul. Rather, it helps you see the need for a Savior. There's an interesting passage. I'm going to try to try to uh, get through this passage without confusing me and you. Uh, to mankind, sin must become sinful. I hope that makes sense to you. Romans 5, verses 12 through 18 is the passage we're going to look at, and they're going to project some of this. Uh, and just be patient with me, guys. I'm going to bounce a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to read the primary statement and leave out the parenthetical passage in the middle of this statement. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, who's that? Adam. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And then you would jump down to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so 
By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, the parenthetical passage is what I want to draw your attention to tonight because it explains here the the significance of the Ten Commandments to us. In verse 13, it says this, For until the law, that would be the Ten Commandments and the ordinances that, that God gave Moses up on the mountain, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That word imputed means to be made personal. So sin was present everywhere, but people didn't take it personally is the idea. So let me read that again. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. You see, the penalty for sin was present from the time of Adam's sin all the way until the time that Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. The people were committing sin, but they just didn't identify it as sin. So he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's a, a theological goldmine right here, folks. And I wouldn't expect this all on first reading to understand everything here, but I would encourage you strongly, if you study your Bible at all, to study this passage of Scripture. It really puts some things in order in your own mind when it comes to your faith in Christ. So here's just a a few things that I want to point out again. Sin reigned from Adam until Moses, but it wasn't personal. They didn't look at themselves as sinners. Until the commandment came. Perhaps you've heard somebody say, who's a soul winner, you've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. Uh, That's what he's talking about here. If somebody doesn't see themselves as a sinner, why would they ever look for a Savior? What would the point be? There would be no point. So if you don't know you're condemned by your sin, you'll never look for a cure. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover the law entered, that the offense might abound what does that mean when the law was given all of a sudden the light goes on and whoa my behavior has been terrible it's been wrong I've sinned against God but he says grace did much more abound boy we can be thankful for that tonight so mankind To mankind, sin must become sinful. 
Secondly, sin has a consequence. Death is the consequence. And Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote about that later in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. The Apostle Paul says this, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That's the tenth commandment. Paul said, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner if I hadn't read the Ten Commandments. Hmm, that's interesting. Romans 7, verse 8 says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Boy, that's a big word. That means a longing for or a desire or a lust. He says, For without the law, sin was dead. I love to watch a a program called Shark Tank. And uh, Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank is famous for saying, you're dead to me when he's done talking with somebody. And uh, that's what Paul's saying here. Sin was dead to me. It had no impact, no influence. It didn't bother me. Without the law, sin was dead. But he says in the next verse, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. All of a sudden I saw how sinful I was, and I was under the death penalty. It's kind of a tongue twister here. Sin was dead to me, but became alive, and I was alive, but became dead. The commandments make us fully aware that we have sinned against a holy God, and by sin we are condemned. Let me connect a a dot here for you. This is why people don't want the Ten Commandments posted. They say they're offensive. You bet they are. They're really offensive if you're a sinner. Here's an emphatic statement Paul makes to the Galatian church, Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What he's saying here is this. You could keep every one of these commandments and you would not go to heaven. That's what he's saying. Sin must become sinful. Sin has a consequence. But the law is our schoolmaster. Keeping the Ten Commandments will not save your soul. In Galatians 3.22, the Bible says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Ye are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Christ and Christ alone will save you from your sins. 
And we are no longer condemned by the law. That's what he's saying here. Now, faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just interject this. What what does it mean? I, I like to use this simple definition of faith. It's taking God at his word and acting accordingly. Now, when he says here that you can't be saved by obedience to the law or by your good works... Do you believe him? Do you believe God? When he says that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, do you believe him? Because that's what he says. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If I came to you tonight and said, You are a sinner, uh, I'm not condemning you because I think I'm not a sinner. I'm just stating what the Bible clearly says. All of us are sinners. Every one of us. All have sinned and failed to measure up to God's expectation. In James 2.10, the Bible says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, one little white lie, is guilty of all. It's as though you committed every one of those sins. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you don't think you've committed sin, friend, you're deceiving yourself. You're keeping yourself away from the one thing you need, and that's Christ. Galatians 3.22, we already read this once, the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And if we're not convinced yet, let me give you a few more just emphatic statements in the Bible that are so clear. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I could be saved by keeping the law or doing good deeds, I would brag about it. That's what he's saying there. Titus 3.5, Paul writes to Titus and he says, Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. When he says, I don't frustrate the grace of God, we've been reading over and over again how it is the grace of God that saves us, through faith. And to say, no, it isn't the grace. It's not good enough for me. That frustrates the grace of God. And if you frustrate the grace of God, what you're saying is, Jesus' death on the cross didn't mean anything to me. That wouldn't make for a Merry Christmas, by the way. Titus 3 says, But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In 1 Timothy 2.5, listen close. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, 
Christ Jesus. There is only one mediator between me and God. And that's Jesus. And there's only one mediator between you and God. And it's Jesus. To go to any other mediator would be vain for you. The Ten Commandments are important for us. They teach us of our need for a Savior. But they also are important once we're saved. Obedience to the Ten Commandments makes a statement about our relationship with God. First of all, it brings confidence in our salvation. 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Look, just, just saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. If there's not been repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, friend, just talking about it or reading books about it isn't going to get you to heaven. But once you know him, once you've trusted him as your Savior, it gives confidence that you're on your way to heaven. Secondly, it's a condition for effective prayer. 1 John 3.22 says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We get that answered prayer because we've lined up with God's moral code. We're in agreement with him. And thirdly, it gives confirmation of our community of faith. 1 John 5.2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, I love this phrase, are not grievous. The commandments of God are not a bitter pill to swallow. It's not that difficult, folks, to embrace the Ten Commandments. Obedience, our old nature takes us away from that sometimes, but look, the commandments are not burdensome. God's not trying to make our journey hard. So the Ten Commandments are important for us. Obedience to them makes a statement about our relationship with God. And thirdly, the truth is to be passed on in the home generationally. There's a a priority for parents in teaching your children. I think we all probably know that. Uh, Teaching your children the whole Bible is a huge task, isn't it? How many of you know the whole Bible? I don't even know the whole Bible. It's a lifetime of learning. Well, recognizing the size of the task often paralyzes people from doing any of the task. We just get lazy about teaching our kids the Bible. Well, immediately following the restatement of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5 comes this admonition to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 6, verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that they may that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord thy God of the fathers hath promised thee. 
in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day, what words? Ten Commandments. The ordinances that were given to Moses. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Memorize them. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And the point here is this. They were to be a continual presence in their life in order to influence their behavior. He goes on to say, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which ye swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged that thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, when you are enjoying all the blessings of God, is what he's saying there, then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. The Ten Commandments are vital to our success as a believer in the age in which we're living. Here's some practical ways to, to begin to use these commandments. How about posting them in your home? You know, it grieves me to see how many of our young people move away from the faith as soon as they leave the house. Doesn't it grieve you? Might be a good idea to post them in each of your children's bedrooms so there's a continual presence as they grow up. We're to intentionally memorize them, perhaps even reciting them together at a particular time, a meal, for example. Psalm 119, a psalm in the Word of God about the Word of God. Verses 9 to 11 say this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? In other words, how, how should a young man keep his highway of life clean? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Consider the cause and effect in that passage. The presence of the word of God in us keeps us on the right pathway in life. Even when we've grown up and gone away from home. The purpose is that of projecting an accurate opinion of God. Glorifying God is our primary purpose. Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The idea there is we're to live our life in such a fashion that as people around us observe our behavior, it projects into their mind an accurate picture of the God of heaven. Wow, that's a big responsibility. Let me summarize God's purpose for the law. There's a good passage to summarize this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. He says, now the end of the commandment, that is, the end effect of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Boy, let those three things sink in for a minute. Read it again. The end of the commandment. In other words, this is what God's trying to produce here. Is charity out of a pure heart. Of a good conscience. You know it's possible to live your life with a clean conscience. And of faith unfeigned, unhypocritical. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, to, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, perhaps the title of this sermon should be the Twelve Commandments. Because when understood and applied, they help us with our obedience to the Great Commandments. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, the Bible says, When the Pharisees had heard that he had, put the, that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master... Which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. It's all summed up in those two commandments. Our mission in life is to love God and to love others. And we are to do this not to get saved, but because we are saved. Amen. We are to be sharing the good news of the gospel so that others can be saved. A good conversation around the Ten Commandments just may be what is needed 
in order for someone to see their need for a Savior? Here's a few questions you might want to start with. Were you ever taught the Ten Commandments? I was taught them in a Catholic catechism as a young person. My folks dropped me off there on Saturdays when I was an elementary school kid. Here's another question. What do you think the, the purpose, God's purpose, for the Ten Commandments was? How are you, or how do you think you are doing in observing the Ten Commandments? Ooh, that's a probing question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you received the gift of God, salvation, by grace, through faith? Have you ever just come to God and said, God, I can't do it my way. I can't earn a spot. I can't buy a spot. I can't get to heaven by myself. I'm going to turn away from all of my efforts, and I'm going to trust your provision of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on that cross. He took my sin to the cross and died for it. He paid the wages of my sin on Calvary's cross. And by faith, I want him to save me. Have you ever done that? You could do it tonight if you haven't. Let's bow our heads together in prayer, shall we?